Today is the May 15th, 2022 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is titled, John 7 and the Gospel. If you would like to support our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button on our sermon audio homepage. Thank you. I have the privilege of doing our Bible reading this morning, so if you would like to take a uh, Bible there in the pew, or if you brought your own Bible, or if you would simply like to sit and listen to the Word of God, the reading is going to be from the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, verses 4 to 10. This is a prophetic uh, scripture of what Christ would suffer before the cross. Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 10. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary on with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Let's pray. It's amazing, Father, that, uh, well, it's you. Hundreds of years before Jesus went to the cross, you filled your scriptures with what was going to happen, that we would know you knew the beginning from the end, that Jesus being crucified was not man's will. It was not an accident, not something that you did not foresee and just took you by surprise, but You've known from eternity past that you would one day send your son so that he could save us from our sins, that he would give his face to those who would spit on him and and strike him, that he would give his back to a cat of nine tails, that he would stretch out his hands on a cross to pay for our sins because you knew that was the only way you could get us to heaven. And because of your great love for us, you were willing to do that. Help us as we continue to look in your word in John that we can see who Jesus was, his heart, his love for us, the way he lived for you perfectly, that he was the very image of you on earth, that he was God incarnate, that we can love you more, and serve you better. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today and know that there's some out there on internet land. You can see me and hear me, but I can't see or hear you, but 
Glad we're all together here on this Lord's Day. Good to be together. Our purpose here, one purpose on these mornings is to share the truth. Uh, you're all aware that we live in a world more and more where it's hard to discern what's truth, whether it's out there and relates to COVID or the government or politics and this season, all these people running for office. Who's telling the truth? You know, there's different... They use words now like disinformation or misinformation. Uh, they don't usually just say that's a straight-out lie. And so it sometimes makes it hard to know how to live when you don't know if that's true or not true. But you have to always remember that the single most important thing is understanding the truth of the Bible. You also understand that there's a devil out there and his co-workers, demons, and people he works through on this earth that uh, lie about the truth. That is the spiritual truth. Sometimes it's just flat out and you can just tell. You know, somebody says there's no God. Well, there is a God. <laughs> We know that. But there's other things they lie about, and they lie about the gospel. And, and sometimes it's a mix of truth and error. It makes it hard. When I grew up in a church, I grew up in a church where it was a mix of truth and error. It takes more discernment. Well, what's true and what's not true? And so always remember that in this world where there's lots of lies. And as I watch things over the years, the last 10, 20 years, it seems like there's a lot more liars out there in this world. And that goes with the word of God as well. So my objective is to, by God's grace, to share the truth. Because the spiritual truth, because that's what we need. That's what we need more than anything else. We're going through the Gospel of John. And simply put, we're learning about Jesus. And we're learning about the Gospel of Jesus. That's what we're doing over these number of weeks here. I want you to turn your Bible to John chapter 7. We're going to work our way through a number of verses again not doing what I would call in-depth, but, but definitely covering some important things that we need to understand that relate to the gospel, Jesus, and how that relates to our lives. John chapter 7, verse 1. John 7, 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee. He was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. I love the succinctness of words there, right? Jesus tells us about what's going on. There's about a six-month gap between chapter 6, end of chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 7. And during this time, Jesus was down in the southeast portion of Israel. Then he traversed up through the country to the northwest part. Now we understand he's in the north-central part, which is the Galilean region. And, of course, he was doing all kinds of miracles, and he was teaching the people. Uh, the main thing he was doing was making disciples, that is, spending lots of time with the 12 apostles. We continue, John 7, 2 to 5. The feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. The feast of booths, or the feast of tabernacles, also called, was at hand. And Jesus' brothers, who were not yet saved, but they were religious people, were encouraging Jesus to go down to this feast so that he could show himself. People could see him and can see his miracles. They, I believe, and he had four brothers. I don't know, at least two sisters, maybe three. But he had four brothers, and they, like many other people in Israel, thought, hey, this Jesus could be the king. And so they're thinking, hey, if you're going to be the king, then you've got to make yourself known. You've got to get out there in front of the crowds. You've got to promote yourself. That's what you've got to do. Verse 6 of John 7. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time 
is always opportune. Jesus knew his purpose at that time was not to be a king. He knew his purpose at that time was to be a savior, to die for the sins of people. That's what he knew to do. And also knew that the time wasn't right. The time wasn't right. Passover, we know, would be in about six months from that time. That's when he would die during the feast of the Passover. But God, of course, has his perfect time for everything. We don't always think about this, whether it relates to your life or your family, whether it relates to uh, things here in this church, whether it relates to world events. Uh, Right now, God is orchestrating the number of events in this world and your very life, too, all leading up to that time when Christ comes back uh, to then rapture the church and then set up his kingdom on this earth. But this point of timing is, 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 is a very necessary one to understand. Because all of you, I have to assume every day, get up thinking, well, I might do this, and at a certain time I'll do that. And, you know, there's timing. You look at your watch, and, you, you know, you figure things out in terms of timing. Always remember that most important timing there is is God's timing. And so when you think about your lives, what you're doing, where you're going, is think about God's timing. Is this what he wants me to do now? Be prayerful. Not just think, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Well, what does God want? So always be aware of his timing. And sometimes things don't work out for you because it's not his timing. So always be sensitive to that. You see this timing phrase quite a bit, more so in the Gospel of John than any other, other place. John 7, 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. It's a, it's a very important verse here, a very important truth, and it's pretty simple. You understand it sort of stands alone here. But it's good in this context because they're talking about you know, people wanting to kill him. And, and one of the main reasons, if not the number one reason, that unbelievers hate Christians is because they tell them about their sin. They tell them that their deeds are evil. Now, most sinners, most all of us, we like to be loved. We like people to be kind to us. And the Bible does say you're to love your enemies, be, do good. And Jesus did all kinds of wonderful things for the enemies back then. He loved them and patient with them and he fed them and healed all kinds of people. So he was always loving. He's always kind. And so we need to do that, but always understand that, that, that sinners, they don't like it when we talk to them about their sin, when they're sinners. Sinners want to sin, right? They don't want to be told that they're wrong when they sin. They don't want to be told that they shouldn't sin. I always remember this. Here's a simple point with, with people out there. You all know people who aren't saved. You love them. And this is probably true for some of you here, but you start sharing the truth about their sin and how they need to repent of their sin. If they don't repent of their sin, then they'll be judged for their sin and they will go to hell. They don't want to hear that. Okay, we understand that. Turn to John 15. I want you to just see this quickly here. John 15, there's, there's a number of sections in, in the Bible that really focus on persecution. This is, this is one of the best. And this is where Jesus is talking. I just want to read a few verses here. In John 15, 18, it relates to Jesus, but of course relates to us. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And we just said one of the main reasons is because he was telling them the truth about their sin. If you're of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I've said to you, slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. You see, he talks there about that sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Very important. If you are hated for the gospel, for whatever reason, 
Some unbeliever hates you. Know that they hate the Father and the Son. That's always important to, to realize. Back to John chapter 7, verses 8 to 10. We're going to work our way through a number of verses here this morning. Talk about Jesus, his purpose, what he was doing. John verses 7, 8 to 10. Jesus is talking to his brothers. They're up there in Galilee. Go up to the feast yourselves. I did not go up this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. When his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as it was in secret. So here's the, uh, he tells his brothers to go to the feast themselves. And, and what would typically happen when people went to the feast in the northern part of Israel in the Galilean region, there'd be large caravans of people. You typically wouldn't go alone. You'd have the fellowship and safety and, you know, share food and things like that. They'd go together. Well, Jesus done, didn't want to be. One of the reasons he didn't want to go be in this large caravan of people. Again, he wasn't out there to make a name for himself, to, to do some more miracles. Than he wasn't into that. So he said, go yourselves. And again, he knew that his time had not yet fully come. Again, we, we see that timing point. Now, shortly after this time, it wasn't long. I'm not sure if it was two days or a week. And so you think, well, why two days? Every day, every minute was important with Jesus. So when we talk about time, we can talk about the big picture of time, something maybe six months or a year or two. We're talking about even days in terms of timing, and that's what happened. So shortly after this time, Jesus went secretly with his disciples. He didn't want people to know. And actually what happened is at this time, I believe, is when he went through Samaria. Luke chapter 9, some would say that section, I think it's 51 to 56, talks about this. And, and, of course, most Jews would never, ever, ever want to go through Samaria. I mean, the Jews in Samaria did not get along. I mean, that's saying it nicely. They hated each other. And so for a Jew to even step foot on Samaria would be anathema. It would be not the thing to do. So, but there's Jesus. He loves everybody, Samaritans too. We continue then in verse 11 through 13. It says, The Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning them. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying no. On the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. Okay, what is this telling us here? First of all, the Jews were looking for Jesus at the feast. Again, he, he was well known all over the country. Okay, Jesus come. He's got to see him. Where's he at? I mean, so they were looking for him because, again, he was a famous person. He was famous. He was a celebrity. You know, if you had today's culture, you know, who's the hottest person on Instagram or TikTok, TikTok or Facebook. I mean, that's, we understand that celebrity type status in, in our present culture, but he was famous. He was the most famous person in Israel at that time and very popular among many of the people. Not all, but many. And I say that because it says that there's much grumbling among the crowds, much grumbling and murmuring among the crowds. And this grumbling, murmuring, just means the people are talking among themselves, Others couldn't hear, but just, you know, your little group of people, you're talking about this. Jesus could be in your home, could be out in the street. They're talking among themselves, and some are saying, hey, he's a good person. Others are saying, no, he's not a good person. He's leading people astray. That is, some are saying, he's of God, and others are saying, he's of the devil. So there was a lot of discussion, and, and you, re, you understand that as you read the gospel, people just kept talking about, who is this Jesus? Is this the Messiah? Is he a prophet? You know, what's, what's going on here? Now, one reason... The people weren't speaking openly. It says there in verse 13, is for fear of the Jews. And I think this would relate to the Jewish leaders, high priests, Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is a group of 70 men who were the religious leading, leading religious body of the Jews. And at this point in time, they had not yet made a public declaration about Jesus. That is, where do we stand with him? They weren't doing that. They're still trying to figure out exactly what they want to do. So they, they weren't open about their thoughts, even though most of them there really hated him. 
and one of them killed, but it hadn't been a public statement. So here are these Jews here. The average Jew then was, was afraid of the Sanhedrin. They don't want to get on the wrong side of the Sanhedrin, this leading religious powerful body. They didn't do that. They were afraid of them and afraid of what they might do to them if they said something about Jesus. So they just didn't say much, and that's why they were murmuring. That's why they were then grumbling. John 7, we continue, verses 14 to 17. When it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? And so Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. And so here's Jesus. He arrived, and again, a few days later, it was the middle of the week, whether it's day three or day four, not exactly sure, but sometime around then. What's he do? He starts teaching right away. That was the number one thing that Jesus did. It was the main thing that Jesus did. He was teaching. I am always intrigued. You probably know the story, but it's in John chapter 20, and Jesus had died and raised from the dead. And you remember the story about Mary Magdalene and how, you know, she really wanted to see him. And she had had seven demons and the Lord has saved her, you know, and forgiven. And she really loved the Lord. And so, so he reveals himself to her. And what's the first word? What's the first thing that she says? She says, Rabbi, a Rabboni. She calls him, which means teacher. You think, why did she say that? Well, that's how she knew him. And, and they didn't say miracle worker. Yes, he did. But the main thing he did was teach. And it was the single most important thing that he did was teach, you see. So that's how people knew him. Yeah, he's a teacher. He's a teacher. And that's what she said, Rabboni, because she had learned so much from him through the years. I mean, she was very, very thankful for him. And again, in fact, I was reading this morning, my quiet time, Second Timothy 4, 1 and 2. You know the verses, I believe, but it says, in view of his appearing, in view of his kingdom, preach the word. In season, out of season. And it says, the kind time will come when they won't want to hear the truth, but they will find for themselves people who tickle their ears, which is very common in our culture. You know, if you'd asked me, what are the top five problems in this world, and I'm not sure how I'd list it, I will say this for sure, that one of those problems is that preachers aren't preaching the word of God from the pulpit. Either they're preaching flat-out air, or a mix of truth and air, or they're preaching truth that I'll call light, fluffy. It might be true, right, but it's fluff. It's not the center. It's not the core. It's not what people really need to hear. That's what's important. So Jesus knew that was the most important thing. People hear the truth. We're talking spiritual truth here. And the same thing, that's what we need in this country. And I really have to say this. We can talk about the reason this country is having problems and it's going downhill. We all can see it. Can't miss that. It's because preachers aren't preaching the truth. That's it. That's one of the main reasons, spiritually speaking. And secondly, with that, then, I would say parents aren't teaching their children properly in their homes. That relates to every which way, because parents are to teach children in every aspect of their lives, and that also then include spiritual truth. Now, the Jews were amazed at how good he was of a teacher. This guy's an amazing teacher. But he wasn't just good. He was perfect. I mean, you think about this. Every word that he said was the perfect word. I mean, you think about how you speak. Is every one of your words perfect? No. Every word was perfect, and every word, how it was said in the intonation, was perfectly said. Amazing. Everything. I would have loved to have been there, hear him teach. Powerful, authoritative, 
Convicting was his teaching. That's what it was. He always shared the truth, and he always shared exactly what the people needed to hear, which is instructive for us. You're all with people pretty much every day. When you're with Christians, one of your goals, one of your objectives is to communicate truth. Okay, you don't just push it on them. But, you know, you be kind and gentle with people. There's a way to speak truth to people. But you want to be thinking, what truth could I share with this person that would be encouraging to them? And you all know this. Everybody's different. Everybody's different stage of life. So what truth does this person need to hear? What truth does this person need to hear? Think about that. This is important. And Jesus always shared the truth, and he always shared the perfect truth or the words that were perfectly needed for that person. And so... Jews couldn't figure out why he was such a good teacher. He hadn't gone to the local rabbi school. They had schools for rabbis. He hadn't gone there. And what Jesus says is, he says, what I'm teaching you is what my father has taught me, which is an interesting, you know, I'd love to ask him how that worked. <laughs> you know, Jesus, you said this a lot. In fact, turn to John eight twenty eight. John eight twenty eight. Jesus said, verse 28, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me. John twelve forty nine and 50. 49 and 50 says, um, I did not speak in my own initiative, but the Father who himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Now, it's interesting in the... In the um, uh, NIV, I believe it is, and I should check the Greek out to make sure, but in that verse, end of verse 49, it says, as what to say and how to say it. Then verse 50, I know that his commandment is eternal life, therefore the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So Jesus, his head, was a perfect teacher. He was perfectly taught, and everything he was perfectly taught, he perfectly conveyed to the people. So, But what I was going to say before is I would love to know how that process went. That is during his life, whether it's on earth or in heaven or whatever, the teaching from the Father. But it did happen. We learn that very clearly right here. Then Jesus says, back to John 7. I want to look at this verse again. John 7, um, 17. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. This is, this is a really important verse. A lot of important verses in this text here. And it relates to you as well. But it relates to willingness. Um, he says that if we're willing to do God's will, if we're humble ourselves in this context before Jesus and what he was saying and what Jesus was saying was the will of the Father, then it says we'll know whether that teaching is of God or not. That's what he's saying. And the idea is simple, is that if we're willing to do what God wants, then we'll know whether this book here is truly the Bible, truly God's word. And this lesson is simple. We should be willing to do God's will. We should be willing to do whatever he wants us to do. And if we're willing to do what God wants us to do and then do what he wants us to do, then we will have a lot of assurance. We'll have a lot of confidence. Oftentimes people don't have the confidence that they need in life. There's different reasons why people can be fearful, afraid, lack confidence. But one is because they're not willing to do what God wants. But you being willing and then doing what God wants you to do gives you confidence and assurance. It draws you into a close relationship. That's John 14. 21 and 23, a close walk with the Lord, and you'll be fruitful. But, but the thing you need to ask yourself, and this is an important one, this is just between you and the Lord, and you're getting up in the morning, and you say, Lord, and you need to say this, but I'm going to say it just simple. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do today. Sometimes you say, oh, boy, I don't know what I'm getting into. Oh, should I say that? 
Lord, I am willing to do whatever you want me to do today. But that's how it should be. He's God. We're his children. We're their servants. We should say that every day, knowing that God might slightly change our schedule or plans. He might radically change whether it relates to people or things you do. That willingness to do what God wants is extremely important. Psalm 40, I think it's verse 8, of Jesus, but speaks of us too. It says, I delight to do thy will, O God, thy law is in my heart. So that might that be our prayer. In fact, I'll say one more thing in conjunction with this. If, if you're in the morning there says, you know, I don't know if I can really say that I really want to do what you want me to do today, then you pray. Say, Lord, make me willing. Make me willing. Because sometimes we just don't want to. And I understand that. I've had times like that myself where we just don't want to. And God wants to make us ones who are willing. John 7, verse 18, we continue. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. Again, an important truth here. Jesus is not speaking from himself. We've talked about this already. He's not just saying what he wants to say. He's saying what his father wants him to say. But we also learn a very important truth here that relates to us as well is, is, is seeking his father's glory. Jesus, when he's on earth, I mean, could have easily, I don't know if he's tempted to do this or not, but he sure wasn't seeking his own glory. He's seeking his father's glory. The son then, Jesus then desired to do his father's will so that God would be glorified, would be honored, would be praised. That's, that's and we know this. Many verses say that John 17, 4 sums it up as much as anything uh, brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So, which, again, this is very simple. For your life, one of your primary purposes is, is you want to bring, I want to bring, we should want to bring glory to God. And that's important. So to think about that. Verbalize that in your heart and mind. I want to give glory to you today, Lord. I'm not out for myself. I don't care if people see me or hear me. I want you, God, to get glory. And that's what Jesus was saying. And it's just a wonderful truth, the Son coming down to the, this earth, wanting to give glory to the Father. And, of course, we see places, too, where the Father wanted the Son to be glorified. So there's a mutual desire there, the glory they wanted one another to have. He goes on to say there, he says, Jesus tells us that his Father is true. And, again, this is, some of the things here in this, this word, just, there's so much you could say. We could talk about this for the whole rest of the message. His Father is true which then means that the Father and Jesus are the source of all truth. All truth meaning truth about the physical world, truth about the spiritual world, truth about everything. All the truth is the source of truth. It comes from him. Therefore, his Father speaks the truth. And therefore, his word, Jesus' word, and this word here, which focuses on spiritual truth, it's true. It's true. This, this whole subject of truth is, is so, again, so vital, and it's vital for our lives as well. It says in Psalm 119, verse 160, I think, the sum of thy word is truth. As you know, there's different people, different religions, different cults even that take verses out of context. You can take one verse and pull it out. Hey, look at this says. This is the truth, right? And, and I've had people do that with me. And so we need to understand that the word is true and that the sum of the word is truth. Not that you can't have a standalone verse. That's true. I'm not saying you can't. But sometimes people promote error by pulling verses out of context or a phrase out of context. We just can't do that. So we see that Jesus 
the Father's truth, we also see that he's perfectly righteous and holy. He never does what is wrong. We continue, John 17, 19 to 20. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. These, these verses are just loaded. Just so much here. Jesus, as we know, is always direct. And he always gets right to the point. He tells them again what they need to hear. He here he speaks of the law of Moses. And the law of Moses, a number of purposes, but we could maybe sum it down to two things. It told the Jews how they were to live. Okay, it told the Jews how they were to live. But it also then exposed their sin. It helped them see that they weren't keeping God's law and therefore were sinners. I mean, he said that. He says that. None of you carries out the law. I mean, if you have these people there, and these the, the Jews in general back in that first century, they weren't, you know, crazy, wild, out-and-out sinners. I mean, they sinned, but it was more religious-type sinners, okay? And so here are these religious Jews, a lot of them, and it says, you guys aren't carrying out the law. And you may be some religious family, you know, I don't carry out the law, you know. And, and, but he said, you don't carry out the law. So he's right there calling them sinners, right? That's, that's. And then what's he say? <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's, he, he says, um, you're trying to kill me. <laughs> he's pretty open, isn't he? You guys are trying to kill me. <laughs> and you see, he knows that. And it's not been a public thing. People weren't shouting that at Jesus. Hey, we want to kill you. That wasn't it. But he knew it. He knew what the word on the street was, that, that they were trying to kill him. And, and they answered him. How did they answer him? They said, you got a demon. What's wrong with you? You say, we're trying to kill you? you got a demon. And, 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 well, that was bad. I mean, you think about it. To call, talk to Jesus and say, you got a demon, that's really bad. They were terribly and totally wrong in what they said there. And who, who seeks to kill you? And, of course, they were hypocrites as they said that because there were many in that crowd of people who really did want him dead. Not everybody, but we know that sentiment was growing more and more. So, anyway, they say that to him, but they were the devilish ones. He was the righteous one. He was the one who actually then was killed. We know this, basically, then to defeat sin and death and the devil, all these things. And, of course, then to make us perfectly righteous and holy. We continue, John seven twenty one to 24. Jesus answered, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it's from Moses, but from the fathers, that is from Abraham. And on the Sabbath, he circumcised a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses might, will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So you have a little baby boy, and the rule was, and it was a strict rule, you've got to circumcise that kid on the eighth day. It turns out to be the Sabbath. Do it in the Sabbath. So, so that's his point here. That's what he's trying to say. And, and, but the, the, back to the first verse here, just to make sure we clarify here. I did one deed. Now, this is referring back to John chapter 5. Remember that guy that was lame 38 years? And you remember the story. What day of the week did Jesus heal that guy? It was on the Sabbath. He says, man, you guys are all upset about me healing this man on the Sabbath. And his point, his argument was this. He says, okay, you guys are willing to do the circumcision, you know, on, on the Sabbath, that's fine. And, and in a sense, what it does is it, it cleanses or purifies one part of this boy's body, of child's body. It says, I want, to, I want to cleanse the whole man. I want to make the whole man well. What's wrong with what I'm doing? That was his argument. That, that's, that's what he was saying very clearly. So he was, he was right again. He's trying to help them see their sin, their self 
righteousness. And, and these Jews, and particularly the Jewish leaders, they're so much into show, so much into appearance, so much as today we call it virtue signaling, you know, signaling your virtue to others. But they were proud. They were wrong. They were hypocrites. That's what they were. It says in Matthew 6, it says, you don't want to, um, he was talking to the just average person, you don't want to be like the hypocrites who want to be seen by men. And, you know, they had their flowing robes, or they'd go to the treasure, you know, little treasure place, put their money in to be seen. They wanted to be seen, so he's addressing that here. We continue, John 7, 25 to 27. He says, so some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him, and the rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Now, we've got to work our way through these things and, and just listen as we explain what's going on here. Okay, many of the leaders wanted to kill him. But at that time, that was to be a secret, okay? So now here's Jesus in the temple, and he's talking openly. And so some of these people are thinking, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this the one that somebody, well, well let me back up, I forgot. Is, is, it was among the leaders, it was known they wanted to kill him. But in Jerusalem, if you live in Jerusalem, that news got out. Some of the people, some of the locals in in Jerusalem understood, hey, these leaders want to kill him. Okay, that's, that's, that's the story. And so now they're all seeing him pe- preach publicly, and they're thinking, hey, I thought the leaders wanted this guy dead. Why don't they go get him? That's, that's what was going on here. Why don't they get him? Well, we don't know for sure what the leaders are thinking. One, it might have been, you know, the leaders are watching this crowd. says, man, these, this crowd, man, they're listening to every word he says, man. Sure can't interrupt this thing. You know, others, they might say, well, you know, if we try to stop this thing ourselves, man, we get into debating, debate with Jesus, and we may not win that one, so let's not do that. Others might have thought, you know, if we try to stop this now, boy, and get Jesus, there could be a riot, and we don't want to get trouble with the Romans, you know, and, and, and they're probably thinking, you know, we've got to wait till we get them alone, okay, which is what we know basically what happened later. So they're thinking, and who knows, whatever reason, but he's preaching, and he's very popular among the masses at this time, and, and what is happening? Now, it says um, some are thinking that maybe this person was the Christ. Okay, there are some in the crowd. Again, there's this, this, all kinds of thoughts. This guy's the Christ. And, and so, therefore, if he's the Christ, well, maybe that's the reason the leaders don't want to go after him. Man, if he's really the Messiah, you can't do that. So they were thinking this. But then that idea is quickly discarded, okay? Quickly discarded. Because then they say, and it's in the text here, we don't know where this guy's from. We don't know the Messiah's from. But that doesn't make sense, okay? Because we know, and a lot of the people back then knew, you know, Micah 5.2, he was born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 9, the first few verses, talk about how he'd be raised in Galilee, this one who's the Messiah. So a lot of people knew that. Not everybody. It's just, again, there's confusion. And that's what you see. There's a lot of confusion. You go through these, God, these pages of John here, just some people knew, some people didn't know. And so, but, but, you know, a side note, is, side, side note is this for us, is we're talking to people, and, and probably one of the single best questions, questions to ask a person that you know probably is an unbeliever, and I'm not sure if you say it just like this, but the question is simple. Who is Jesus? Who is he? That was the, one of the number one questions on the street back in Israel. At that, who is this Jesus? Who is he? And where is he from? And that thought, that idea is is banded around a lot. But for us, with people, it really comes down to that. Who is this Jesus? And don't you know that if he's the Lord God, 
heaven and earth, the king, the creator, the savior, that you better listen to what he says or else you're going to be in a heap of trouble. So, so anyway, that's, that's what's going on here, this, this, uh, this confusion. And, and John 7, 28 and 29 says, Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. Back up. I'm trying to get my red up. Let's back up to 27. However, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. There's a lot in here. And I'm just going to go over this quickly. I mean, there's just, this, I don't know to say it, just the density of truth in just a few verses. So, so, so what, he's, what he's saying there, he's crying out. He's raising his voice. He's there in the temple, probably the best place, part of the temple to teach in. And he wasn't just wanting to speak to the front few rows. He wanted everybody to hear him because what he had to say was very important for everybody to hear him. That meant the average Jews, and that meant the religious leaders as well. And this all relates to what they're going to do. He, he wanted to make sure they understood what he was saying there. And, of course, the people then had been talking about where he was from and who he was and all these things. And this is Jesus' answer. What's he say, sir? He says, you both know me and know where I'm from. You both know me. Now, what's he saying there? Is he talking physically, speaking, geographically, or spiritually? Right there he's talking physically. You know where I'm from. Again, I said there's confusion. There is. It's not like everybody was absolutely convinced, but a lot of people knew, yeah, this guy, he's the son of Joseph, you know, or son of Mary, and up from the Galilean region up there, and he's raised in Nazareth. So a lot of people knew this. We've heard that, but not everybody completely knew. But So he says in general, you, you know me, and you know where I am from. Again, speaking physically, that's what he's saying. And so this is his answer. But there's more than that. We all know that. There's a spiritual answer. And that's what Jesus is driving at in these verses here. That he wanted people to know that he was not just a son of man, but he was a son of God. That he was a Messiah. That he was both God and man. That's what he wanted the people to know. He says he didn't come of himself. Again, this is a simple truth we read many times. It was the Father is the one who uh, is his idea. is his plan then to send Jesus. Then it says the Father sent Jesus. I, I should look this up. I haven't done it, but the word sent is so, so common in the Gospel of John. Not so much in the other Gospel. Man, you see it all the time, and it's important. I'm going to work my way through this just very quickly, so just listen up here as I say this. By saying the Father had sent him, Jesus was saying, number one, that he, that he had a Father. My Father sent me. Number two, if he sent me, that means he knew his Father. He had a relationship with him. Number three, if the Father sent him, the Father sent him for a specific purpose to carry out, right? And number four, the fact that Jesus is now on earth meant that the Son, Jesus, was willing to do what the Father sent him for. Okay? Four points right there. He had a Father. He knew his Father. The Father sent him down to this earth for a reason. And number four, then, Jesus was willing to do what his Father wanted him to do. But there's another important point, another important point that Jesus was sent from the Father meant that his Father was his heavenly Father. And it also meant that his Father was God. This is, the, this is key. His Father was God. He had a heavenly Father. 
his father was God. And the fact that his heavenly father was God meant that he himself then was the son of God. That's what he was saying. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. You can see me. I'm here. But I'm also the son of God. I'm both God and man. So, so we look, go back to read these again. 7, 28, and 29. Jesus cried out in the temple teaching and said, You both know me and know where I am from. Meaning what? He's the son of man. I'm, I was born on this earth. And I have not come myself, but you sent me as true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. That verse, the last part of verse 28, meaning I am the son of God. So, so even the verses themselves, when you look at it, when you understand it, you see it, son of man, son of God, that's what he is telling the people. Again, it says that his father is true. Of course, his father always speaks the truth. You go back to the Old Testament, and there's a lot in the Old Testament that was said about Jesus, a lot about his purpose, and all the things that were said in the Old Testament scriptures, which Jesus referred to a lot, was truth. And all the predictions about Jesus came true. Not all. There's some still coming true in the future. But, but it's all true. And not only that, but Jesus, or the, Jesus was speaking for his father and was his representative on this earth and therefore was one who always was speaking the truth. Go back to John chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, familiar verses, but in this context, let's see what they say. John 1, 14 to 17, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That last phrase is important. One of Jesus' purposes on earth was to explain the Father, was to reveal to the people what the Father was like. Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days that has spoken to us in his Son. So God, that is the Father, spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. I like that. The exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, back to John 7. So, verse 28, Jesus cried out. And what's he cry out there, that first phrase? You guys know me. You know who I am. You know physically who I am. You know physically where I'm from. You know about my parents. You understand all these things. And, 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 but then he said, you might know me physically who I am, but you don't know who the Father is, meaning you don't know him spiritually speaking. So that's how I have to look at these verses, you see. You don't know the Father. You don't have a relationship with him. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 19. John 8, 19. John 8, 19. So they're saying to him, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. Spiritually speaking, if you knew me, you would know my father. And so it's, 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 it's true. 
And we understand this, that if we know the Father as believers, and we do, as spiritually speaking, that means we know the Son. And if we know the Son, we know the Father. And it's, it's just it's so, so, I just love this. And this, is, this, is, this is one of the beauties, one of the blessings, one of the truths of Christianity, that if we know God, then we know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we, we have that benediction that we do oftentimes, uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There. And there's many verses, really quite a few verses like this. This is one I, 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 I like, Ephesians 2.18. It says, for through Jesus... We have our access in one spirit to the Father. Get it? They're all there. Through Jesus, we have our access in one spirit to the Father. So that, and that's the way it always is. So we should feel really blessed. Man, <laughs> unlike some religions, they just have God and then the wrong view of God. And we have God and we have the Father. And you can pray to the Father. You've got the Son. Son ministers. You've got the Spirit, you know comforts you, fellowship, all these wonderful things. And, and it's important to understand what's often called the offices of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Offices meaning the particular work they do, their job description, so to say. What is God, the Father's job description? You know, what's he do for you? What's Jesus do? What's the Spirit do? And understand that's really, and maybe we should do that sometime, uh, but to look at that more closely because it will help you then in your understanding, in your relationship, and your growth, and relationship with God and your growth then as, as a Christian. John seven twenty nine. Let's go back there, and we'll finish up. John seven twenty nine. So I, I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So Jesus saying loud and clear that he knows the Father. Of course, we know that he has known the Father since eternity past. They haven't had an eternal and loving relationship, and so from eternity past into eternity future, they will be super tight. The Father and the Son, and of course, this is with. The Spirit, and sometimes I know people have wondered this, and I don't understand all. Why doesn't the Spirit get more time in the Bible? You know, why don't we talk about Him? I don't know, really. I just know that the Spirit is, is really in a supporting role. But you see the Father and the Son. But they're all one. They're all equal. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're all part of the Godhead. And it goes on, Jesus said, this verse says, He knows the Father. I know Him. I know him, I am from him, and he sent me. And so, so what he's saying here is this, is, is he says, you guys, you might know who I am, but you don't know who he is. That means you're not saved. That means you're unbelievers. That means you're still in your sin. So we go to verse 30, 31. So they were seeking to seize him, and no one laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, will he not perform more signs than these, those whom this man has? Now, just one point in verse 31, they'll go back to 30, is, is many of the crowd believed him. You say, well, they got saved. Uh, not necessarily. And we'll talk about this more in the future. But, you know, the, somebody says they believe in him. That may be true, may not be true, that in terms of a saving faith, okay, just to say that. Because it goes on to say, hey, when the Christ comes, well, who would they believe in him if he wasn't the Christ? You see, that's, that, that makes sense. They said they believed in him, but what do they, you know. So anyway, there's, there's still confusion relative to that. Now, the Jews who were there, the leading Jews, they were mad, Okay. Why were they mad? 
two reasons, very simple, two reasons. One is Jesus was saying, I'm God. They didn't like that. Oh, no, that got him really mad. They wanted to seize him. They wanted to kill him. But, of course, it wasn't his time. So the number one reason was he was saying it was God. And the number two thing is he says, you don't know him. I know him. He says, you don't know God. Whoa, you're talking to these religious leaders. You don't know God? That's what he's saying. You don't know God. Who are you guys? You're religious. You don't even know who God is. You don't believe that I am God in the flesh. They were mad. They were upset. They wanted to kill him. But many of the crowd believed in him. Maybe some of those got saved. It's hard to know, again, that question of who is Jesus. But we're going to close here. We're going to continue on next week. There's more here. But you'll see the richness of the word. And I encourage you to, to go over this. Again, we have the, the um, actual copy of my notes is back there. And if you can't get it, if it runs out today, then you can go online. It'll be there probably today or tomorrow under Sermon Audio, is that Sarah? the actual PDF? So let's pray. Thank the Lord for our time. Father, thank you so much for this time. We bless you for giving us your word. Indeed, you are so faithful. You are so kind that you are our teacher. I pray, Lord, that we be good students and not just ones who want to learn in our heads, but learn in our hearts and then do what you want us to do. So many things here, Lord. Help us to be ones who are willing to do what everyone. Help us to be ones then who want to give you all the glory and all the honor. Help us to be ones who understand timing and that it's not up to us and when we want to do things, but might we be ones, as it says in Psalm 27, wait on the Lord or wait for the Lord, waiting for your timing. So, Father, thank you for these things. And I just pray, too, that help us to be ones who love you as a father, love you, Jesus, the Son, you, Holy Spirit. I mean, that's relationship. It's in terms of our spiritual growth, you all three are important. Not that we can all understand the dynamics of that, but help us to grow in our relationship with you, God, as one, and with you, the Father, and with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. But thank you again for this church. Thank you for ones who couldn't be here who are listening or watching online. We pray for everyone here, those who may not be feeling well too, Lord. We all have different ailments, but thank you that you're our God, our strength. And we thank you for all that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.